I don't recognize many of you, but uh, <laughs> the Ark Fellowship and be back in Texas, even if it is for a very short time. Um, uh, just to give you guys a very quick update. Uh, first, I want to thank all of you who have been praying for my father. My dad just turned <clears throat> just turned 93 years old, and just about two weeks or three weeks, I guess it was, before his 93rd birthday, he had double bypass surgery. Uh, first of all, that's a miracle within itself because normally they don't like to give bypass surgeries to people who are over 85 years old. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to get one, you know, and all of that. So it was a miracle just to do that, and he survived it so well. Just a few days, I mean, a week after he had the bypass surgery, he was out of the hospital, did not have any pain the last two days he was in the hospital, went home alert, strong, and uh, we worked hard for about a week and a half. I did work with him. He could, I could just assist him a little bit and help him up, and he was able to get up. Then he ended up getting a urinary tract infection, which put him back in the hospital for another week, put him on antibiotics, and they sent him home for me to give the antibiotics to him, IV. And uh, I got him home on a late Friday night. I gave him an IV on Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning at 2 o'clock in the morning. He woke up with delusions and hallucinations. Took him back to the hospital. He had a reaction to the antibiotics. So, got him out. When I got him out, he was so weak. A week later, he was so weak, I had to literally pick him up, and that got, my, got me down in my physical condition. And so, I was trying to get him back in inpatient rehab, and I had to take him back to his surgeon to get released because he hadn't ever got to see him because he'd always been in the hospital. And then the doctor saw him and said he needs to go to the hospital before he goes to rehab for edema. <laughs> so... He'd been in the hospital for a week in edema and just finally got uh, into rehab this past week. And he's in inpatient rehab now. And I just want to thank you for all of your prayers to get him to that point. Uh, he still needs a lot of, he still has a long ways to go. He needs a lot of strength. <clears throat> he, he's had a lot of, I, I, the first one I called it a stone in his shoe. You know, when he got the urinary tract infection. Then he got two stones in his shoe. Then he got three stones in his shoe. And I said, Lord, how many stones do you have to put in the shoe before we can walk without the stones in the shoe, you know? Uh, but uh, but I, I want to just say thank you for your prayers. And I was able to come home for a week uh, while he's in rehab. My sister is able to, to be there with him now. And while he's in rehab, and I'll be leaving, my wife and I will be leaving to go back to Florida Saturday. Uh, so we won't leave with you but just a week. But it's been good to be able to get back and see all of your smiling faces. How's that? And uh, the Lord is so good. And it is good that we have this holiday, this July the 4th. And no matter what the world says, this still is the greatest nation in the world. And I believe that as strongly. I'm glad that I was born here. I'm glad that I am an American. And I'm glad that God blessed me to be born here. And those of you who were born in another country, uh, many times when I'm over in Africa, one time I was talking to people and, and I, I, I had a group of men there, ministers, and I asked them, they I said, do you know the difference between you and me? And naturally, everybody wants to look, well, you're white and I'm black, right? That's, that's the obvious thing, right? But that wasn't where I was coming from. And I said, what if the difference is between you and me and what I have and what you have? And that is the country I was born in. You were born where you are. 
with all of the problems and stuff they have to deal with over here. And I was born in a country that was blessed of God, and I was blessed to be born there. But the thing about it is, is we realize, and I've told them many, many times, I said, if I cut myself, I bleed the same as you, red. And that's part of, when you bleed red, that means you're part of the human race, right? We all are brothers and sisters in the Lord. But I rejoice with us, and let's rejoice in, in, at the time that we have uh, on the July the 4th. Do you have the, let's stand up and say, if you got it ready, I don't know if you even, I didn't tell her, so I don't know. The, Isaiah, let's stand up and say, quote, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as to learn. The Lord God, and I was not rebased, nor did I turn away. God bless you as you're seated. Tonight I want to share with you a, a, a very, um, I guess you would call it a very popular scripture. I, I want, popular might not be the word. A scripture that's probably been preached on thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And it comes um, out of the book of John, John the 15th chapter. Uh, basically the entire chapter, 1 through 27. I want to share the whole story. I've shared a lot of things with, the, with this particular service when we teach the book of John in prison. I always like to get to the nights that I get to preach on, I like to do the one on John chapter 15. It's my favorite. Probably other than John chapter 3, it's probably the most, most, my most favorite in the book of John because it, it talks about the vine and God being the vine. But... <clears throat> It's important for us to understand when we look at the, uh, the, uh, th- this um, illustration or parable, whatever you want to call it. I-, I like to look at them as illustrations, not so much parables, because they're illustrations for us to do. And God has given me uh, many, many, many illustrations. And I've used so many different illustrations in my life. But I, I guess as I, I looked at it when early in my ministry, I said, Lord, you come up with all these parables and stuff. And then God began to give me little illustrations of things that I could do. And there's a lot of people that have talents in certain ways that God has given them in the ministry. Mine just happens to be using illustrations. So I love illustrations. And I think this is probably one of the best illustrations that you can see in Scripture. Because it says so much, and I believe that there is many people have taken this scripture and kind of twisted it around and missed very important parts of the scripture, and therefore we don't get the fullness of it. And I hope tonight that even though it's a familiar scripture, I hope that I have something special that I can give to you about this uh, in this illustration that the Lord gives us here about abiding in the vine. And that's what the title of the message I have tonight is abiding in the vine. And we know who the vine the vine is because it tells us right there in the beginnings of the scripture that. Jesus said he's the vine, okay, and his father is the vine dresser, or he's the one that actually trims up in things of the vine. And it's important for all of us to realize what the vine is. And we want to, I want to talk just a little bit about the vine before I get into the scriptures. A vine is, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a vine or you're talking about a tree or you're talking about anything that grows out of the ground, any type of thing that would grow, whether you're growing a tomato plant or whether or not you're growing a lemon tree or orange tree or whatever you're growing, if you're growing any type of fruit, you go out and you look at the leaves, and a lot of people, when they go look at a, I, I grew up around the orange groves in Florida. And orange groves, originally, you know, you got an orange and you had a grapefruit. And then all of a sudden, then you had a tangerine, a tangelo, a, a ruby red. You know, you had all the different types. And you go out in the grove and you look at the tree and you just say, what kind of tree is it? Is it a tangelo? Is it a tangerine? Is it an orange? Because they all basically look the same. A lot of people walk over and look at the leaves, and you took the leaves, there's not a lot of difference. Unless you're just schooled in it, it would be very difficult for you to know what it was. 
But the thing that you did was once you saw the, once you saw the fruit on the tree, you knew exactly what kind of tree it was. And so it kind of makes it unique that the Lord here uses an illustration of a vine, saying that he is the vine and that we are the branches. So if we're the branches, that means that we are what the vine is. In other words, what that vine is is what our branch is. We can't have a lemon vine, okay, a lemon tree, and put out an orange because it's a lemon tree. The source is there. So if Jesus makes it very specific because he talks about a lot of things in specific, it's just like when he talks about a grain of mustard seed. He uses something very, very, very small, one of the smallest ones, but yet it grows into a tree large enough for animals, to, uh, birds and stuff to perch in. So he uses something small that's so great. But everything that God always talks about is absolute. It is what it is, and it is no other. Okay? In other words, whatever God says it is, it is. In other words, he didn't give us an illustration of a vine and tell us that you can put all kinds of fruit out there for things. There's a specific fruit that you have to put out. But he doesn't tell us what that fruit is specifically because if we know what vine it is, then we should be able to know what the fruit of that vine is. And so, therefore, he uses this illustration. So we know that there are characters here. We know that the vine is, is Jesus. The vine dresser, or the one who does the trimming, is the Father. And it says, and we are the branches. Okay? So we're the branches. And there's one that I have to add so that my message makes sense. Okay? And that is, the only thing that Jesus left out of this parable was the bug. The bug. Bug. B-U-G. Bug. Okay? Okay? What is the bug? He's the destroyer. Right? He's the one that eats on the leaves. Right? He eats on the branches to try to destroy the fruit. Right? So we may not see the bug, but we know that the bug exists. And everybody know who the bug is? I think we can know who the bug is, and that is Satan, right? The devil. So he's the bug. So this, this part here is we realize that we are the vine and that we are to produce fruit, right? So if we want to produce fruit, it's <clears throat> to be able to produce fruit... The first thing that you have to be is connected to the vine. You can't take a limb, throw it on the ground, and grow fruit. You can grow fruit on a tree, cut it off, in the gr- and you can put the fruit on the ground, but you can't, take a, 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 you can't take a limb and just throw it on the ground to grow fruit. You have to be part of the tree and part of the branches, right, to be there. So the most important part is you first have to be connected to the vine. And to connect it to the vine means we have to have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And when that happens, we become attached to the vine. Okay? Now, we begin to spring out a new spring, a little, a little, uh, what do you call it, sprout. Is that the right word? A little sprout coming out. And all of a sudden, I had uh, just trimmed back a, 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 my crepe myrtle in, in, in front of the house. And, I mean, I murdered, I did the crepe murder. Murder, they call it. I whacked that thing down and cut all the big limbs and stuff. And you know what, that thing? It's come back the best shape it's ever come back in its life. I mean, it's just beautifully coming up and getting flowers on it. I'm so excited about myself because i got a brown thumb and not a green thumb. But anyway, uh, but it's important to realize that we have to make connections, right? But we start out as a sprig, okay, like a baby branch. Now, baby branches don't 
usually yield fruit, right? Right off the bat, right? Because they have to grow from the vine. And the vine is what supplies all of the minerals, all of the water, all of everything that has to that comes to faith has to come out of that little small vine, it, I mean, that little branch, and it begins to sprout, and the sprout gets larger and larger and larger and larger. And as it begins to grow larger, then it begins to blossom, and then it begins to have fruit. So it kind of lets you know that if, if the fruit can't come forth early because we don't have a lot, of, then there must be something that has to be coming into that branch or into that sprout to give it something that it knows to be able to grow in and to be able to bring forth fruit. That's just like a babe in Christ. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when you first did that, you were a new birth and everything started over. It doesn't matter how old you were. You had to start all over as a new child, right? And you begin to learn from the vine, okay? The Word of God, which is Jesus, is the Word, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, right? And the Word and everything that proceeds out of Jesus' mouth is the Word, so we begin to hear the Word, we begin to grow in the Word, and we begin to begin to get stronger and stronger and stronger to where we can actually, when we make a fruit, able to hold the fruit up. Because if it grows too, if it tries to do something too fast, what happens? You put the fruit on it and it breaks the limb off, right? So you have to be strengthened just like God, the Lord tells here. It, you part of the vine, then you begin to grow in that vine, and then you mature in that vine. Okay? And that's the way God intended it to be for us to be able to grow. And when we grow, then we bring forth fruit. Now, it says, every branch in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, does that mean that a little sprout comes up and he's not bearing fruit? He's going to cut the little sprout off? No, that's the new growth. Okay? You don't cut off the new growth. What do you cut off? When you're trimming a tree, you cut off the old stuff, right? You don't want, because you want the, the, the new leaves, to places for the new ones to grow. But he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I think a lot of people, especially today in the world that we're living in today, have taken, has taken Christianity for granted. We've taken Christianity and we put it in a box and it's been sold as this, this is what it all takes to be a Christian. And the thing about it is, what's happening is, is we're being attacked today because the world is beginning to decide and change what God's Word says. They're taking things that used to be true, now it's a lie, and then a lie, now it's the truth. All these things are happening. But a lot of people says, every branch in me, realize this. Pastor brings up the one about the, about the um, uh, ten virgins. And he says he hopes that's just a, a, a parable and not an illustration because you had ten virgins. Well, ten virgins means that they were, for, they were we'll call them Christians. So you had ten Christians, five of them made it when the bridegroom, five of them didn't. Now, I hope that doesn't mean that 50% of the people that confess Jesus Christ doesn't make it. Pastor says, I hope that's not true. I hope it's not true either. But he says here, he's talking, he says, every branch in me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians, right? He says, you're a Christian, and you're in me. 
He didn't say that you were the one out there that hadn't sprouted yet, accepted him. We're talking about, he says, everyone in me, every branch that's in me, in the vine, okay, every Christian, let's put it that way, that does not bear fruit, he cuts away and lets it go. Now, a lot of people say, well, if you get saved and give your heart to the Lord, that's an unconditional thing and you just go right on. There's no conditions in life. I'm telling you, Jesus, Jesus when you accept him, he put responsibilities and accountability on us to be Christians. We can't, and there's a lot of people in this new hypergrace that's going around today. It's what I call it, hypergrace, where you can go do anything you want to do, but as long as you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you're saved. Well, you may, say, you may be able to say that, but I know one thing. The Lord said that in the end times, in, in Matthew chapter 7, it, it says, some of them will come to the Lord and say, He said, depart from me, I never knew. He said, wait a minute, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out devils in your name? Didn't I do all things in your name? He said, yes, I honored my name, but I never knew you. And people don't like to look at that. We like to walk in this thing that there's no responsibility on us. We have no accountability for what we do. We can live the way we want to, but not the way God wants us to. And I think he tells us here right point blank. You can be this Christian in him, but yet if you don't bear fruit. So we need to know what fruit is because we want to make sure we bear what he's talking about when he's talking about the fruit. And this fruit that we bear. So yeah, you can go look at it, whatever, but the, it's the same Greek word. Uh, the same Greek word that's used here for fruit is the same one that's used for the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Same identical words, nothing different, no verbs, no, ch- no changes in any way. The same identical word. So when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentle, kindness, peace, you know, control, all of these things, when he said those, and we look at those and we say, okay, we know that then some of this fruit must be love, must be joy, must be peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Mike likes to say if you get the self-control first, it take care of the rest of them. Because self-control is what gets us in trouble because we don't bring our body into obedience to God's Word. Our body must come into obedience. Now, <laughs> Paul says daily, <laughs> I whip my body into obedience to what God's Word says, right? In other words, I have to control my body, control my desires, control the things that wants to control me, and let the Spirit of God inside of me control me not the world that's around me. And it's important for us to understand. So we know that these fruits are probably there, but God, there's a lot more fruits. But the point is, is when the fruit comes forth, what should the fruit look like? What should this fruit of your tree, if you are in Christ Jesus, what should your fruit look like? What about Jesus? Okay. They should be able to see Jesus in us, right? People should see the goodness of God. They should see the love of God. They should see all of these things that he says here. But he also goes on to tell us a little bit later in here. We'll talk about it in a minute. But these other conditions that he puts on it too. See, there's a lot of times that people don't think that there are conditions on Christianity. They think that it is all just no conditions. All I got to do is accept Jesus Christ, and that's all I got to do. If that's all we had to do, then that means we wouldn't have to change. We could continue to do everything that we normally do and things of that nature, but God says we have to change. We do those things. Now, if we, it says, therefore, if we bear this fruit, we are truly of the vine, but if we don't have these fruits, 
then the word, the word says that the Father takes it away, takes the branch away. So fruit is what... <laughs> so the fruit that you bear is what Satan wants to destroy. He wants to destroy that Christ-like fruit that you are so that when people see you, they see Christ. When they hear you, they hear Christ. When they watch you, they see Christ. When you do actions, the actions that you do is the same actions that Jesus Christ would do. And we have to look at that's what it is. If, we can't, if you can't recognize the fruit in your life, then what are you? If you can't recognize the, if people cannot recognize the fruit that you are, what kind of fruit are you? Because you'd have to be a wild fruit, not of the vine. Because everyone should be able to recognize who you are by the fruit of your life that you live. And God says, if you can't live that life, then I don't need you. I don't need a limb on my tree that doesn't let people see me in them. And that's important for us to know. Now, he goes on in verse 3. He says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. He's talking to his disciples. And then it says, in, when he's talking about abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine is a bidirectional condition. Because he, he, he says, verse 4, if you abide in me and I in you. Now, everybody knows that we accept Jesus Christ into our life and everybody knows that Jesus lives in here, right? That's important. And everybody does that. When we accept Jesus Christ, we say, wait, we invite Jesus into our life even as a child. Jesus, come into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. We sing the song, right? As a child, right? Come into my heart. You say, where's Jesus live? To a child, where's he going to say? He lives in my heart. We understand that. But people forget, and this is very important, that we are in him. We're connected in the vine. We're part of him. If we lose connection to that vine, being part of him, we lose our connection to what this one that we accepted in here. Now we got Jesus in here and no Jesus up there, and we got, we got no communication. We're not part of that vine. We're not part of that connection. So it's important for us to understand that this abiding that we have is where we get our strength and the source of all of our strength. But it's also a connection that we have to have to be able to make things uh, to, to make things. Uh, good for us and, and for things to happen in us. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Just as a van can't do it unless it's part of the vine, neither are you going to do anything unless you truly abide in the, in, in the Lord. Okay? Now, next part I want to talk about is commitment to your connection. It's one thing to be connected it's the other thing to be committed to it. Okay? Some people like to be like the sheep. If everybody's what sheep, I guess cows maybe do the same thing. But if the shepherd's walking in the front, there's a lead sheep right behind him. He's always one that's like the little lead sheep, right? And here you got the sheep up here, and then you got all of these like this. You know, they all just kind of string out and get wider and wider and wider and wider. Where do you think the devil, which one's the devil going to attack? Is he going to attack the one up there by the shepherd? Or is he going to get the one that's straggling down there on behind? He got back so far in the back that every time the shepherd says something to tighten up, boys, tighten up, you know, 
says, don't let the wolves get us. Tighten up. Get together. They're so far in the back, they don't hear. The next thing you know, they drifted away from the craig, and all of a sudden the wolf comes in and takes away, right? Well, we need to make sure that we make this connected. Now, in this, ver- in this chapter, we get introduced now to a new word. This is the largest, I guess today the biggest, I should say, the biggest word in Scripture. Carries more power than a lot of words in Scripture. And it's very, very small. Now, there are other words in Scripture that carry a lot of things, but not many of them this small. Because this, this, this one word that is used here only has two letters in it. And it's very powerful. The letters are I-F, if. Now, when you hear the word, if I were to tell Bill, if, Bill knows it, wait a minute, I've got to do something, a condition just came my way. I'm going to say, Bill, if, I don't have to tell him anything else. He already knows that he's going to have to do something for whatever I'm fixed to ask him for. I say, Bill, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you 50 cents. You know, you wouldn't want to do it, but whatever. But the thing about it, you know that there's some, some condition coming, right? So when, you, when the Lord all of a sudden decides if, that means he's creating something saying there's some responsibility that's being put upon you, okay? It's being put upon you for you to receive what I want for you. Now, pastor preaches a lot, and so have I in the past. We talk about there's a lot of things in Scripture that don't have if in front of them. They just tell you that you're, they're yours, and you walk in faith with them. But if it has if and a condition, then what does that mean you have to do? You have to fulfill the condition to get the reward, or whatever the case may be. Now, he comes in here, and he says, he uses the if word. He says, first he talks about the result of not abiding in Christ. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch... Okay? He is cast out. In other words, if you don't abide in him, he cast out as a branch. Does that mean that you were a branch to start with, but now you're not abiding in him, so he cast you out? Huh? Kind of blows all oh, once saved, always saved. <laughs> all right? You were part of the branch, but now he, if you don't abide in him, he's going to... Cast you out, right? Just like he talked about before. So he reiterates pretty much what he said before, but he, he says it that way. If anyone's not abiding me, cast out as a branch, which used to be part of the vine, and then it withers, okay? And then they gather it up, throw it in the fire, and it's burned. So we know where that means, right? I hope you know what getting burned up means, but if you don't, you know what? Dig into that one, okay? But then he goes on, he says in verse 7, the, the, the benefit of abiding in Christ, but it's also conditional. He says, if you abide in me. If you abide in me. So the condition is, do you abide in him? How do you know you're abiding? Part of the, you've asked Jesus to come into your life, and you are now, but are you abiding in him? He says, if you're abiding in me. Then he puts another one. And. You can circle that and if you want. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. 
Again, if and if. Two conditions, right? Now, if his word abides in you, what does that mean? Does that mean you can quote John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so the word abides in me, so I'm done now. No, the word of God is the word of God, right? That's his word, the Bible. It's the word of God. He said, if that word abides in you. Why does that word need to abide in you? Because if that abides in you, everything's taken care of. The words that you need that pastor talks about all the time, speaking and speaking and speaking, and I teach in my classes, you got to speak, you got to speak, you got to speak, you got to speak. You can't speak, speak, speak if you don't have something to speak from. And it's important for us to realize that that, again, is a responsibility of us to study to show thyselves approved. Break the word. Break the word. Look at the word. Discuss the word. We have some of the greatest teachers. I was When I came to this church, <laughs> I've been coming here just a couple of years, I guess. Coming up on a couple of years, if not a little over. But when I came here, the one thing that I noticed when I came to Sunday school was this church is blessed with anointed teachers. Anointed teachers. I grew up in a church, okay, as many of you did, that every week or every quarter, whatever it was, January, March, whatever the quarter was, right, you'd get this little book and you'd get your school, you'd get your book for the student, and the teacher would get a teacher's book from Springfield, Mecca. No, anyway. The Holy Tower, no, anyway. Drifted here. But anyway, we would get these books and we go through, and I go home and I take my book and I could look at that book and I say, well, We're going to be studying. I knew exactly what that teacher was going to say next week. I'd go to that class and I'd sit down and I was dubbed by three of my youngest, te- three of my teachers when I was young as the why kid. They'd say something, I'd say, Why? And they knew. I wasn't just going to swallow what they had to say unless they could tell me why. And, you know, and they learned that they had to come to class prepared. I remember Sister Spears said she had to study more when I got moved, when I got promoted in her class. She never had to study in all of her life. Because I wanted to know why. My junior teacher would give me my first Bible when I left for college. Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Hard, hard bound edition, wasn't leather or nothing. She gave it to me. Best Bible I ever had in my life. And she gave it to me. And later on, after I became a minister, she said, do you ever know why I gave you that Bible? I said, no. She said, because I knew you were going to minister and you needed it. She was my junior teacher. But the thing I'm talking about is we get these words, talk about our teachers. You get this stuff that somebody does, and all they do is read the lesson or maybe talk to you about it. And I'm not, I'm not questioning written up material. But I'm telling you especially, and you've got to do that a lot with the, with the young kids and so forth because you've got to have curriculums and stuff for the kids and stuff for them to see and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about adults is what I'm talking about. When adults and stuff, these teachers here, they get on their knees and they pray and they ask God to give them what they're to give to that, to that group, of, the, uh, group of people in their class. And I've heard teaching here that some of the best teaching in the world. It needs to be heard all over the world. And hopefully one day we're going to put it all over the world. Because God anoints people to teach. There are people who are teachers. And there are people who try to teach and do the best that they can. But there are anointed teachers here that God anoints and gives them downloads of what they have. And it's not something that come out of some book somewhere. But it's something that got downloaded from the book of God in heaven. And he brought it down so that you, the people here, could grow the way you are. 
And then you come into a pastor who sits up here and can quote the Bible to you all up and down, preaching the uncompromising gospel of Jesus Christ, which is hard to find anywhere in this world today. We're blessed to be here. We're blessed to be able to see that type of teaching. And I thank God for it. I thank God for it. But it's, you have to have those words in you. It says, by this, the Father, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that, they, so, that, so that you will be my disciples. Now, he's talking to the disciples, but he's talking to us too. The word's in us to make us disciples. What is a disciple? One who, what, carries the good news? One that takes the news, right? People say, but I'm not a pastor. We're all ministers. I may have credentials in my pocket that says I'm an ordained minister, okay? Do you know what that ordination piece of paper is worth? $100. Unless it's gone up, okay? Every year I got my ordination papers. I get them every year as soon as I sit my membership in, Okay? You don't have to be an ordained minister to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a licensed minister to be the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go down to, to go down to prison ministry, and I don't I don't know how many of the guys down there actually carries quote a credentials with them, but I've heard some mighty powerful teaching and some awful mighty powerful preaching down there to those prisoners. And they might not have the credentials in their pocket, but I guarantee you they got the credentials right here with what they have there. And God said, whatever you say, he said, but what do I say? How do I say it? Just tell people about Jesus. Tell them your testimony. That's what God, that's what God, he doesn't, he doesn't tell you just because you're a minister that you've got to be behind a pulpit. Your pulpit is wherever you go. We have a sign. I just noticed it tonight when we leave the house. It says, uh, how does it say? When you leave here, you leave, you're, you're entering your mission field. Every time I leave my house, I'm, least, I'm, I'm ministering to, you know, to a mission field. So I've got to move along. If I don't move along... I won't get there. Okay. <laughs> now comes the responsibilities and accountability. I told you about that. He talked about the fruit. But now he says, if, a big word again, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, you may, that, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy will be full. So, all of a sudden, now he says, keep my commandments. Does anybody know how many commandments are in the Word of God? There's over a thousand in just the New Testament alone. Just to let you know. Over 1,000 commands in the New Testament alone for us to do. One. What's the first one? Most important of all. What? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind, and all thy strength. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself, because if you take care of those two things, if you love God with all your heart, the rest of it will take care of itself. You love God with all of your heart, everything else will fall into place. People say, but I don't know what those thousand commands are. You may not know them by name. You may not know them by chapter and verse. You may not know them, but I guarantee you that inside of you, there is a spirit inside of you that any time you do something you shouldn't do, it's going to speak to you and you're going to know that you just did something wrong. And when you get prompted by the spirit, don't sever that spirit. Because a lot of people just keep, they get it and then they just don't correct it. They just do it and pretty soon they don't get that convicting power anymore because they severed that part of their conscience. 
Man has a conscience. He was born with one. And I tell every prisoner, and I've asked every prisoner, I've never had one not raise their hand. And I ask him this question. I said, when you committed the act that got you here, did you know it was wrong when you did it? They all do this. They knew they were wrong. And people know when they're wrong now. They just won't admit it. They know they're wrong. Why? Because God put a conscience in man. It's born in man to serve something bigger than themselves. I don't care where you go when when the missionaries used to go all over the world and they go into the darkest parts of the jungles and stuff where people had never seen a white man. People had never heard about God, Jesus Christ, dying for their sins. They'd go in there and those people worship something. They either worshipped a river where they got their food from. They either worshipped a tree that they got it from. They worshipped an animal. They worshipped something that was bigger than them. Because inside of them, there was that desire in that part of them. And they all know what's right and wrong. So somebody tells you, I don't know what's right and what's wrong. Yes, you do. You're just not listening to your conscience. Because even an unbeliever... Even an unbeliever knows what's right and what's wrong. God made us that way so that we would know how can man live by his conscience in the Old Testament if they weren't born with it. It was the time of the dispensation of conscience, right? They, they, had, they had no law. There was no law to live by to break. He said they couldn't be breaking the law because there was no law written to break. You have to have a law to have a lawbreaker. So we know if we don't know what's right and wrong and been told what's right and wrong, how do we decide? We have to know. It's just there. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another and I have loved you. Greater love had no man than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. You are my friends. If. If you do whatever I command you to do. Now, this is not a message that you go, (laughs) okay? See, I can preach this message because the pastor has to take over after this is clean it all up, and I go back to Florida, okay? (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is we got to realize, and I know all of you, I'm not talking to the biggest sinners in the world. I'm talking to the cream of the crop. But what I'm trying to say is, I'm going to tell you the reason for all of that here in just a minute if I can get there, okay? So I'm going to move quickly, all right? So we're no longer servants, you know, for servant doesn't know his master and all that. I want to skip all that down. I want to go down to here where he talks in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. He didn't. You didn't choose him. He chose you first. No man cometh except he is drawn of the Holy Spirit. Right? I've had people come to me. I had a girl one time that called me on the telephone because I was the only preacher that answered the phone at night because I had transferred to my house. And uh, she was about to commit suicide. And she said she had done the unforgivable sin and all that kind of stuff. I said, well, do you want to know Jesus as your person? Oh, I'd love to, but I can't because, yeah. I said, well, why are you calling me? Well, I, I just let, me let somebody know before I kill myself, you know, and I, you know, what I, you know, she, you know with a story like this. I said, could you meet me? She, I asked her where she was. My wife and I left at that time. This has been many, many, many years ago. Right after I first started pastoring in the 70s. And so we met her at a restaurant, a little 
I don't remember what it was, McDonald's or something. And I went and bought her some food, and we sat down and we started talking to her. And she said she'd done unforgivable sin. I said, what unforgivable sin did you do? You see, if the Spirit of God drew her to make a phone call to a church, she hadn't done any unforgivable sin. God was still dealing with her heart. What, what she was saying was, God's dealing with my heart to get saved. But if I go up here and say, Jesus, save me, he'll say, no, nah, I was just seeing if he'd come. It's not the way God works. So anytime you feel a drawing of the Spirit, or anybody that feels a drawing of the Spirit, know that they have it. They're his, okay? He wouldn't be there. But he said, he'd done all this that our fruit remain. Okay? Now, what are the results? If you really get connected to the vine and you are really committed to God, this is what I wanted to get to, and I've spent all of my time on the other and didn't get my time for here. Bad timing on my side. But here's their part. And this is what I want for today. This is for you for today. And if you hadn't heard anything else I said all night, listen to this. A lot of people today are, having, are confused about what's right and wrong in the church. A lot of it has to do. But there are results when you truly are committed to the vine. When you're really committed to Jesus, there are results. I could call them something besides results because that makes it all sound good. Your status in the world and how do you know if what you believe is right? Now, you read God's Word, but I used to tell people, well, you can read God's Word, but there's so many people out there that read God's Word and twist it around to make it, believe, to make it what they want it to believe, what they want to believe, right? They, they kind of twist those words and make them what they want. And they're doing it all over the place now in, 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 the, in the light of Christianity, okay? A lot of things that are just out the window, right? Well, one of them we talk about is abortion. How can somebody know taking a human life, you know, that? How, how can we talk about homosexuality and all this type of stuff? But the thing about it, how do you know? He said this, if, again, Jesus said this, if the world hates you, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. In other words, the world, if you were of the world, the world would love you. Okay? Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Right now, in other parts of the world, Christians are being killed, beheaded, just for their statement of faith that saying, I am a Christian, because they won't convert to something else, Muslim or whatever it is, right? Right now in America, the worst that you can get is somebody making fun of you or saying something to you or, you know, whatever, you, you know, Somebody might, there are some people getting attacked, I guess, in streets and, you know, mugged and that type of stuff. But right now, basically, all you're going to get is a little verbal, verbal stuff at you. Thank God we don't have to worry about right now, I say right now, that someone, if I say I'm a Christian, cut my head off. But the day might come. The, very, the day could come if we don't wake up, right? But the thing about it is, how do I know that it's wrong on abortion. How do I know that it's wrong with LB alphabet serial, whatever they call it? I heard they're fixing, I fixed the, put a P on the end of them for pedophiles. Pretty soon you'll see an S for serial killer. <clears throat> then you'll see M for mass murder. They'll all be born that way. 
Mark my words, I, I'm not joking you with that. I mean, the P is already coming. They're already trying to do that right now, the pedophiles. Uh, so anyway, but what I'm trying to say, how do I know, how do I know absolutely for sure? Without any question in my mind. I can't find a scripture. There's all kinds of scriptures. But they, they turn all these scriptures around and they make it, make it feel like there's something wrong with me. There's just something wrong with me. I just, I'm a homophobic, a bilophobic, or some kind of a phobic and whatever. And, you know, all of these things. And, and it makes me feel bad. Well, I'm going to tell you an easy way to understand if it's right or if it's wrong. If you stood up for it as a born-again child of God, if the world says it's right, I can guarantee you that it's wrong. If the world says it's right to be homosexual, and the world says it's right for abortion, and they're willing to protest in the streets, go to the judicial system, buy off people to get all these things happen, and I'm just using those two, and it has to do with anything, right? If it is a Christian belief and the world says that you are wrong, know, be guaranteed that you are right. And you say, but Brother Graham, I need to see that in, I need to see that in Scripture. Well, if the world hates you, hates what you stand for, Hate what you do. Hate what you do. Know that what you are doing is stepping all over their toes and that you are right in what you're doing. Okay? That's why they hate. And it only goes, it even says, it goes on, it says, uh, he said, if they, a servant is not greater than his master. So if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. They crucified the Lord because they disagreed with him. If they crucified Jesus because he stood for something that was right, and they said, what you're doing is wrong, we know Jesus was right, right? So they crucified him, not because he was wrong, but because he stood up for what was right. And that's what we have to look at. And it says, but all these things, in verse, uh, in verse 20 it says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will perse- if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your words. That tells me that if you're in the child, if you're a Christian and you're inside the house of God, and you can keep the word of what the word of God, he said, if you keep what the word of God is, is then they'll, they'll they'll remember what they'll keep they'll believe what you say, right? If you keep the word of God, no, words the two blends up to each other. It's when we get in opposition to one another. See, the thing about it is, for a long time we had a, we had a name for all of this, for all of this stuff, this transvestites and, and all this kind. We had we had a name for all of it. It's called mental illness. Now I'm not I don't like to use that term because I don't I don't I don't necessarily believe a lot of times that it's mental illness in the fact of an illness. But I think there's a lot of demon possession there. And you go and look in these things. They were they were things that were done that was outside of God. That was that was that was horrible. The things that turns God's stomach, so to speak. He abhors it. And we see some of these things happen. And people are innocent because of what they did, but because there is no understanding of the sins, and they won't recognize the sin, they're never able to come to get the deliverance so that they can walk where God wants them to walk. I just saw on Facebook, whether it's true or not, I don't know, a whole bunch of people now that were actually homosexuals that got saved and got rid of it, and now just as straight, some of them got kids and everything else, right? Well, when they found out Jesus, and they got the truth. But they had to have gone somewhere 
that somebody recognized what was going on and was able to take care of that situation. And we've got fewer and fewer and fewer places that we can go to and worship God that has the power to do what needs to be done. And that's where we're blessed here. I guess I'm on the thing to that. People may hate you for where you stand for Jesus. They hated Jesus. But all of this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. That's what Jesus said. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me and from the beginning. When the helper comes, praise God that we got the Holy Spirit. I was raised in an Assembly of God church basically my whole life. From the time I was, if I was ever that small, okay, whenever. Three days after I was born, I was asleep on a bench in a church. Stayed in that same church. My father still attends that church now. The same church that I grew up in. That church, 1926, 93 years old. Okay? Assembly God Church. Tongue talking. Assembly God Church. Power people shouting. Every, the old time Pentecost. I grew up with it. But do you know, it wasn't an... In just the last few years of my life, I've told Pastor Goodluck this. It's been in the last maybe five, six years, probably since Pat and I have been married. Pat and I have almost married seven years. That I finally understood praying in a heavenly language in my prayer time. I grew up in a church that tongues and interpretation was the only way I ever heard tongues in my church. That's old-time Pentecost. Mainline Pentecostal religions. Church of God taught it. Pentecostal holiness taught it. They all taught it. But nobody used tongues as a prayer language. I'm only, it's new to me, seven years and I ministered as a pastor for over 20 years. I have taught since 1978 verse-by-verse Bible studies. Teaching the Word of God. But never was instructed in the heavenly language of the baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And since that time have led many, many to receive the baptism, even in prison. We've led men to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when it said this helper's coming, I want you to know that the helper that Jesus talked about is already here. And if you don't have that Holy Spirit, you need to find somebody. Come, pray with We'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. We'll pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't understand it, <clears throat> you don't have to understand it. All you have to do is receive it. Did you understand your salvation when you accepted Jesus? You know? The biggest mistake that I ever, the hardest thing for me to learn when I was growing up in the church was I, there was such, and I won't tell this in case somebody needs this, and now I promise I'm going to close it. Three minutes, I'll close. 
I didn't ask for three minutes from each one of you. I just said three minutes, right? It is three minutes. But what I'm saying is this, and I, hopefully this will help somebody. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I did not get the baptism of the Holy Spirit until I was in my early 20s, okay? And got it from a 17-year-old evangelist, still wet behind the ears, and he challenged me, he challenged me, and I finally got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I was scared to death of it. I had been taught to to reverence it so much that I had no freedom. I was scared that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit would get on, when I would come, if I spoke something with my own lip, it would be it would be of me, and that would be blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and I was scared God would strike me down dead. And so <clears throat> this young evangelist, we were all went up. Every time somebody wanted to get filled, say you want to get filled with the Spirit, I was always there, wanting to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I went up there, and we started praying, and I started saying, Jesus, 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 as fast as I could. Thinking if I got if I said Jesus fast enough, it would come out of his tongues. I I don't know why I thought that, but that's the way I thought. I'm sorry, but that's the way I thought. And this preacher come by and he says, Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We've been praying, we've probably been praying up there for 30 minutes. And uh, he said, You were born and raised in the church, right? I said, Yep. He said, That's what I thought. He says, You're scared that if you say something. If you speak the words that you know, that you've heard, you know all this, right? That you're going to be in the flesh and you're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? I said, yeah, you, you hit me on the hill. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. He said, okay. Then what I want you to do is I want you to pray and ask the Lord. Say, Jesus. He, I, he started with me. I said, Jesus. I'm going to step out by faith and speak in tongues the words that I know, the words that I've known in my mind and all the things I've heard my whole life and you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm going to speak them by faith with my own mouth. If it's not of you, please forgive me in advance because I don't want to get struck down dead. Now that sounds funny and it is funny when you think about it, but I was dead serious. You know what I'm saying? I was dead serious. And so he's, I said that, and he said, now, I'm, I want you to pray. And he says, first of all, you're, you're worried about the flesh. Well, the flesh left about three hours ago. So we're in the spirit up here. So you know, the flesh left. So he said, I want you to pray when I come by. And he said, I'm going to come by and I'm going to hit you right in the chest. And when I hit you in the chest, I want you to start speaking all those words you say you can say. I want you to start saying them. And so I'm, I'm sitting there like this the whole time. I'm praying, so, oh, Jesus, please don't strike me down. Please don't strike me down. And he came back, and a few minutes later, he came back and hit me in the chest. And so I said, okay. And I stepped out and started saying those words that I thought were me. And I couldn't stop. I probably talked in tongues for an hour. And for the first time in my life, that's how I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I said, I have arrived. And the only time I ever used those tongues from that point on was to give a message in tongues. Never from my prayer language. That happened in 82? No, not 82. 72. 1972. And it wasn't until seven years ago that God showed me through the Word and through everything else to use it my language, and now I use it every day. That's where the strength is. So if you're scared and don't understand the Holy Spirit, don't wait like I did for... Your whole life, the best part of your life, on something that's so important to have. 
Because he said, this helper, he said, I'm going to send. He's here. And you can receive him tonight. Okay? Don't get caught up in the devil's trap. Don't let the bug eat your leaves to destroy your fruit. Because that's what he wants to do. He'll nibble at your branches, to, at your leaves, until he kills your limb. And it'll be pruned off because you won't have anything left. And the power that puts power in your branch is this Spirit, Holy Spirit, that Jesus talked about here. Don't let him try to, to take... Don't get caught up with the devil trying to, trying to please the world. Don't worry about what people think about you and your Christian walk. The only person that you need to be worried about is whether God accepts me in, in the way that I walk. That's the only one that we need to do. Stand firm. When people don't like you for what you stand for in your Christian faith and the world is saying change, <laughs> hold fast to those things that you know are true. Because God's Word, no matter... I had a person the other day was talking about a new, the new theologies and all this kind of stuff. I said, I would rather listen to the theologians that have said the same thing for 7,000 years than I would have to do to listen to a man that just got an education in the educational systems that we have in the world today, and he's going to tell me how the Bible needs to be translated. I'll take my chances, folks. I'll take my chances with 7,000-year-old theology over, over a two-generation philosophy any day. Okay? So God is good. Pray us stand with me. Praise the Lord. I promised you I'd get ready in three minutes. It only took me seven. Father in heaven, I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're, that you're just here, Lord, tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that something was said tonight that would strengthen us, Lord, to stand firm. Because, Lord, we need to stand firm today. We need to let our light shine in the world today. It's lightness that dispels the darkness. Not the darkness dispels the light. As long as there's a flicker of light, there is no darkness. It may be dark, but it won't be totally dark. Because it only takes a small light to light up a room. We could turn every light off in this auditorium. Every light. Completely pitch black. Couldn't see your hand in front of your face. In front of your face. And all you would have to do is strike a match. Let our eyes adjust to that match and everyone would be able to walk out of here. Being able to see how to exit this building. Why? Because just a little bit of light in the darkness can guide people through their lives. Lord, let our light begin to shine. Let it get brighter and brighter and brighter. And Lord, as the world comes against us, we rejoice because we know that we're right. Because God, if they hated you, they'll hate us. And Lord, if they're hating us today, then we're on side with you. On the same side with you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. I don't like to, I know everybody here is probably Christians. I will never have bowed just for a second. If you don't know Jesus tonight, I don't ever close the service without this. If you don't know Jesus tonight and you want to accept him, would you just slip your hand and say, slip your hand and say, Brother Graham, I'd like to accept Jesus tonight. Is there anybody? Okay, I want to ask you one more thing. Is there anybody here that wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight? I'll pray with you. If everybody leaves, I'll pay. I'll pray with you. Anybody needs to be received? I think most people feel, but anybody? Okay. All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this service. We ask you, Lord, to put safety around each and every one. Tomorrow is a holiday. Many people will be injured tomorrow. And I pray a protection, Lord, upon our whole church family and all those that are around us, that no accidents happen tomorrow. No one gets crazy and does things that they shouldn't be doing tomorrow. But, Lord, let us rejoice tomorrow. Let us be thankful, Lord, that we are 
in America, the home of the free. For as long as we can be free, we thank you, Lord, for it. But, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you've given me through the, through the precious name of Jesus. And it's that freedom, Lord, that we talked about tonight that breaks the shackles and breaks the chains in our lives. God, go with us. Guide us and direct us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Lord bless you.